Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you today. As always, it's good to have our Hollywood insider, overall guru, Keith Rao. Welcome, Keith. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday, Tim. Great to be with you yet again. Uh, I don't. I had a great week, by the way, this week. I know there might have been some stuff in the political realm, but um, <laughs> I, I, I actually... <laughs> I actually did what you and I love to do for a living, uh, watched movies instead oh. of watch television. And I have to say, like, the movie escape world really, really, really works. Like, you just, like, sit down with the family, watch a movie, kind of chill out, yep. maybe, maybe take a little nap in the middle, you know, whatever you need to do when it comes to making... Especially if you're watching The Godfather Part 3 or The Saga, you're going to need to take a nap. Uh, we did watch Godfather Part 3, and... Well, um, we, I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? You are, you're not missing out on a darn thing. I'll just tell you. I can't. We, we talked about, out of all the movies, that's the one we talked about for days afterwards. I'm just like, it, did, it was bad, man. Well, what about the reshot? I thought he recut the ending of how uh, Michael dies. Okay. <laughs> Dude, really? It doesn't matter. Sophia Coppola was so bad in that film, man. It was just yeah, I know. It's 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 kind of the thought of like what could have been if Renona Winona Ryder had been available. Um, how much better that movie would have been? It would have been. Sure. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know why they didn't. I don't know if Robert Duvall didn't want to do it, or oh, there's a phone going off. I apologize. No uh, uh, whether or not. Uh, why they didn't bring Robert Duvall back because George, what super sun tan burnt guy, was just not doing it for me. Yeah, in that and it's so weird. The cousins loving each other. I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, like okay. we're just my whole family's like we, that movie was the most disturbing, and it wasn't because yeah, I mean, everything else was violence. This was just like I don't know. Didn't work. I mean, if you look at like the I again, I apologize for the phone. <laughs> um, the other thing is like, if you look at like um, the first two and what cinematic masterpieces they were, it, it's just, yeah. and looking at the third one, I mean, there are great moments in the third one, don't get me wrong. And I love sort of Connie's evolution from sort of the sort of abused girl in the first one to hardcore party girl in the second one to like basically the rock of the family. Like she becomes mm -hmm. almost the like her father, her, her father in a lot of ways and yeah. takes the sort of the, the mantle from Michael. I love that evolution of her character. Like mm -hmm. she's the one who's pushing to get out there and get back. She's the one that sends um, Anthony out to get revenge. I mean, that evolution of her character is great, but the rest of the movie, it just, it, I mean, and I liked a little bit of the interaction between um, um, Kay and Michael and sort of how they reconcile somewhat based on how bad the second one ended with, with their, yeah. as far as their relationship goes. Um, but I also I, think like Diane Keaton evolved as an actress yeah, and who she absolutely. was in the, in the field. And so when you see her on screen, you're like, oh, this is, you know, the... Yeah, and like I said, there were a lot of great, like the, when Michael reconciled, you know, comes to face to face with the fact that he killed his own brother. Like he always talks about family, 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 family. And then he finally, you know, killing Fredo. He yeah. finally comes to terms with that. And, you know, there, there's a great scene in the, in right at the beginning when Kay and Michael sort of talk for the first time and really start talking about the fact that she sees him as a common hood. Yeah. And she basically says, your son knows you killed Fredo. 
Like he knows, he knows how evil you are. And you can just see Michael just sort of like, like he's dejected and he confronted the fact that he did a lot of evil things. I think my, my favorite line is one where he said, all I've done is tried to make ourselves more and more legitimate. And the more legitimate I become, the more corrupt I realize the world is. Yeah. Like that's probably the best line. I mean, the, the, but the, maybe the most maybe. horrible scene is probably the one where he says, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Like that's, <laughs> That's probably the most quotable thing from Godfather Martin. Yeah, but you know, um, it, it's something to consider because I have to say, you know, Back to the Future Part Three, I don't know, the Matrix Three. I mean, the, the the trilogy world is a very difficult difficult world, and to pull something off like Star Wars, to pull something off like, um, um, I don't know. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings or honestly Harry Potter to be able to do all that series. There's yeah. a there's a lot of um, strategy and craft that comes into it, not just making up a story, another story. Um, Indiana Jones part four, you know, that would be another warning of like, don't do it. Like the filmmakers have to know, like it's the, well, the thing is dead. I <laughs> the dynasty is over. The biggest difference between the first two that you made, like Godfather's, Back to the Future, they were all, the originals were all, I mean, considered more or less standalones. There's, like, yeah. Back to the Future was Robert Zemeckis being like, I want to make this movie. But because it was so popular, they made another one. Mm -hmm. Whereas Star Wars was written as a trilogy. Yeah, uh, and, and, and uh, Lord of the Rings and such. But, he, you know, there is, think about, some sequels can be better than the original. Um, Toy Story 2. I, I think that was brilliant move to go there. Toy Story three, it's you know it still kind of sticks with it. So, but you're right. I think the standalone going into sequel, as we've learned, and it was very '80s to go yeah sequelize everything. If you made money in the first round, why not do it again? Why not? You, then you might as well you know capitalize. On popular don't tool. you? Aren't you curious now about our conversation last week? Avatar. Like, are we going to? Are we just exploiting something or are we going to be able to get that revolution or evolution of the, of the characters in an interesting way? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good point about Avatar because I know having worked on it, it was a script that I think if I'm getting the chronology right, Cameron wrote when he was shooting Terminator or Terminator 2 and he just shoved it in a, in a drawer for two years and then once the technology caught up to how he envisioned the movie, then he pulled it out. I don't think he wrote it as a trilogy um, obviously he's obsessed with water. So, you know, Titanic, yeah. he went down to the Marianas Trench, you know, all, all this, you, you can tell it's where he, he likes it, the exploration aspect of it. So now, and obviously for those not sort of in on the visual effects of it all, you can always tell the quality of visual effects for a movie and how the water looks, because water is a very hard um, aspect of real life to mimic. That's why Life of Pi was such a success because they spent so much time on making the ocean look real and mm -hmm. you know all that kind of stuff. And so now that's where Cameron's taking the technology. So, so for Cameron's, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily about the story per se. It's like, how, how far can I push the theatrical technology? Yeah. To make yeah. the story look cool. So he's like, I'm gonna go underwater now. So part two and three, I think are underwater. Which is uh, which interesting idea. We've been trying to define movie ourselves. Um, yeah. because of the platform war and that kind of 
interesting aspects that we kind of are dealing with today in looking at Netflix as a, as a studio. I mean, are they a studio or is it something different? Like is Netflix a different entity? Mm-hmm. And um, you wonder if the Avatar release is going to have some more forgiveness because that theatrical quality really isn't, isn't a consumable nowadays. We're, we're not recognizing comparing what a theatrical quality was back then to a theat- theatrical now. Mm-hmm. And you can do season two of Stranger Things. You can, you can exploit yeah. these characters uh, even further and still turn it into some sort of content play or release, um, especially when it comes to studio and studio strategy. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you brought up Avatar and as far as I could tell, they did not mention it in their Disney uh, investor presentation, which is kind of a, kind of a big deal as, I, as far as, I, I mean, they bought Fox largely because they wanted Avatar and they wanted James Cameron in their stable of directors. And James Cameron is very much, I mean, it could very well have been because James Cameron is no pushover. <laughs> He may have said, I don't want this to be mentioned as part of your presentation on streaming. This is not a movie that in any way, shape or form over my dead body will be going to Disney Plus. So I can totally see him having that conversation and throwing it with a little bit more colorful language. But he and Chris uh, Nolan will be the last men standing. He is definitely of the Nolan school. Like movies are meant to be seen in theaters on a giant screen and especially my movies. And it's hard to argue with that because can you imagine seeing Titanic for the first time on a TV versus in a theater with when that the boats butts up in the air. And I mean, I still remember this. I was in the theater and the boats up in the air and you could have heard a pin drop in the theater. Everyone was just aghast at what they were seeing. No, totally different phenomenon was we saw it in one theater and then we wanted to go see it again in a bigger theater. We wanted to go have a different experience because the the multiplexes, obviously you, it's like a lottery, which one you get into. We saw it more than once to get different experiences out of it. Yeah. So it would be interesting to, yeah, that's one, that's a really great point. And then going back to what Netflix about, you know, whether or not their movies, I mean, I'm sure most of our viewers will know that Netflix dropped a, a sizzle reel this past week where they basically announced their entire slate for 2021. Well, not the entire slate, but a bulk of it. And their goal is to release a new movie every week. And first off, I'll, I'll give kudos to the Netflix team um, for putting that together because having worked on those kinds of reels before, coordinating all that talent and getting them to say what you want them to say in the camera, that takes a lot to pull off. So kudos to them for getting all those people together and getting them to say what they want to say. Um, and also, you know, just being able to pull that, all that footage together and, you know, everything. I mean, it, it was an impressive real and any studio would kill to have the level of talent that they had in that sizzle um but my big thing is watching it i still i don't know again i i and we talked a little bit about this before we started i don't know if it's a psyche thing for me because i grew up with the with, with sort of the idea of going with them going to the movies meant and it's changed obviously not just with the pandemic but with all the streamers and I watched it and then right at the end when they sort of had this gallery view of all the shows and movies, it all of a sudden felt like an HBO promo spot to me. And I was just like, I was totally out of it. Mm. Whereas if you watch that versus watching the little things campaign, which has started, um, that feels like a movie. And even though, you know, even though Netflix had Chris Hemsworth and the rock and excuse me, Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds, 
watching, it just felt like a movie. I felt like, oh, that's that's a movie versus Netflix. I mean, yeah, so. and we'll we'll drop the link into the, the description yes. of the of this episode so people can know and see what the sizzle work sizzle reel we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but you're right. There is something for me. It felt like honestly, like upfronts. You know, you like you grab the stars, you promote the stars, you give each star kind of like a, a moment on stage to talk about the show that they're making. Mm-hmm. Um, but Netflix doesn't need upfronts. They're not selling that commercial space. They're, they're trying to appeal to an audience. Um, but you do wonder, like, what is this audience? Are we, are they looking for new subscribers? Or, you know, are they trying to compete with HBO Max to say, hey, if you don't drop us, in order to go to HBO Max, we're as relevant as they are. Mm-hmm. So they put together really like a, uh, like you're saying, a, a, an HBO promo piece. They're they're kind of playing in a different field, realizing that their competition is Disney Plus and whatever. Or are they trying to become a studio? Because they were, the the sizzle reel says what I like about what what they say. Like I love movies. Why I love movies. Why I love movies. Yeah. And it's not. So you get a understanding that these are all movies, but they're not theatrical in yeah. feel, are they? Yeah, or at least the promo piece wasn't. Well, I, I just feel like the promo piece was. I, I mean, and I will also say the idea of why I love movies. I think is a great campaign, and I think the studios, if anyone from a studio is listening, that's the campaign you guys need to start working on now to get people back into the theaters. And I think that's you know something, something like why I love movies. I didn't love the fact that it was they it was in service to the movie that they're they're promoting because then that just feels fake to me. I would much rather Ryan Reynolds be honest why he loves movies, what drives why he likes sitting in a theater, talk about that experience versus well, I love movies because I'm in this movie with Dwayne Johnson. You know that yeah that just felt cheap to me. But I understand why they did it. Um, but the other thing I just thought of when you were when you were talking was. They're, they're starting to lose a lot of the content that has driven subscriptions up to this point. Like they lost The Office at the beginning of January this year. That went back, reverted back to Peacock. And that was still one of their most popular mm-hmm. shows. So they're and losing friends. a lot of this original content. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where they're starting to be like, okay, then we need to start promoting our movies. Like a new movie every week. New movie every week. Like even Disney with their promises of a hundred new shows over the course of the next year and didn't make that promise. Didn't say like, we're gonna have new content every single week. Um, so I think it, uh, to your point, it, it, it is really them just asserting we are still, you cannot not have us as part of your bevy of OTT platforms that you subscribe to. So, and I, I'm, I ple- I'm, I'm hoping, just hoping all that I can that there, these aren't Netflix movies. Because as we, as I've critiqued in the past, they've lined up Oscar-winning actors and actresses yes. to be on in Netflix movies, and then you watch it, and everybody else is missing, like the the director that's necessary, or the the um, <laughs> costume designers, the the uh, you know the it's, show it, designers, like everything else is very B quality, well, and they have this one great actor or actress in the middle of it. Hopefully, Netflix has learned their lesson and are getting the quality up, or Honestly, um, you know, well, I mean, introduce Quibi. We're just going to spend a lot of money on something that no one's going to really care about. Well, that's what it's interesting you said because I can't watch a Netflix show now without noticing how, like, I've been watching Cobra Kai, um, which having grown up in the '80s, I love it. But I mean, the story, the, the storyline gets a little cheesy here and there. But um, it looks because you said that it doesn't. <laughs> it's not. 
it looks those parts of it that it looks really cheap like it looks like it was shot on an iphone at some points and i'm like and then you watch something like little again i go back to little things yeah and i saw a tv spot and you watch it you're like look how polished and beautiful it looks so i don't know if there's something going on in the post process versus with the or if they do something different like because ozark i mean great it was gorgeous it's great hurt me very well done but a lot of it can look so poppery yeah like uh, i can't remember what the octavia spencer movie was but i i couldn't even watch two 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 um those shows because i was like the only thing good is her everything else is like i don't i don't get any of this stuff this isn't yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Put together in any it, way that it, we I mean, you've ruined, you've ruined a lot of Netflix for me somehow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now I just pick up, like, there was a shot in Cobra Kai when Johnny was looking in the mirror and they had re- his reflection in the mirror. And I was like, that, I could do that comp. Yeah. Like, that's how bad it looked. Do they like, not hire a DP? Wow. Is there a Are robot walking around have, behind? Do they not have a visual effects supervisor on set? Or are they just comping that in post because it looks terrible? Yeah. Where's the lighting director in this thing? Yeah. Well, here's what's interesting to me because, um, and let's move off of this idea of Netflix just for, for a minute because um, I sent you that article or um, I can't remember where I saw it. I, got, I think it's an article where yeah. uh, Roku basically is uh, snagging up some of Quibi's shows. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to you, look, it's, it's gone, but it's not dead. Quibi's going to yeah. stick around here some way. Yeah. Um, but the, I, the question about like what Netflix is doing and how they're presenting themselves, you almost wonder if Roku is kind of um, recognizing that Netflix is, I don't know, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say it. That Netflix is kind of uh, falling off their pedestal a little bit. Like they're, tr- they're trying to keep up with so much over such a great area that they can't keep the quality going. And I feel like this move with Quibi it might be a total bust, right? Because Quibi didn't really attach to it. But Roku is a, a currently a platform play. Yeah. Like it's a technology built into television sets that you can log on and watch movies. The only time I've ever seen Roku, I don't definitely don't have a Roku OTT platform or an app on my phone. Right. I haven't even heard that being promoted. But I wonder if this move is like the future of Roku in that they're trying to become or be used as like the snackable content um piece and so when i have 10 minutes to waste at a, at a i was gonna say 10 minutes to waste at a bus stop but no one's going to on any buses anywhere um like 10 minutes to grab here waiting for a kid sitting in front of trader joe's my wife's inside because you can't go in with more than one person nowadays yeah. you know like right. those little bites is it the right or is, is roku going to try to push an ott platform or is this the future of quibi content where roku realizes look at these are really great ideas. It's just executed in a way that nobody wants to consume and Roku will get into some of that game. Regardless, I feel like Roku's making a play towards Netflix. Like I think yeah, they're, I, this is how Netflix got started in a way and I think Roku's gonna yeah, try something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think, it, I think it's Roku sort of signaling maybe it's contemplating um, getting into the content creation game and you know, Quibi's got their content sitting there, so why not? I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily a place saying Quibi, this idea was a great idea. I don't, I don't really think that's necessarily what, what Roku's thinking because Quibi was created for the snackable bites. And like you said, sitting outside Trader Joe's, watching 10 minutes an episode. But I don't think Roku's saying that's a great business model. We should try to emulate that. Let's just buy their content and give it a shot. I think they're they're seeing if people are going to be willing to engage with content off Roku, or and and also 
starting to establish Roku as a content provider versus just a platform where you can watch other people's content. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, like, like a lot of these shows that we talked before we started were built to be like short form, like 10 minute bites. So you can easily get through a season of like the most dangerous game, for example, in, a, in an hour or in 20 minutes, you know, that's not a lot of time to, for people to, most times people want more content than that. But uh, I think it's a way to see if they can, they have the capabilities to, you know, show content, um, their original content and, you know, see how it goes from there. So, I mean, again, I, I, I love the idea because the more content providers there are, the more it's for, you know, the need for material. So the democratization of content continues apace. And I think that's great for, up and coming creators, developers, what have you. There's just the more opportunity to, to get your, your stories out there. Yeah, I, I'm, and no one's asking my opinion, but if I were to give my opinion on this whole thing, um, you know, if I was Roku kind of going for a play, I honestly think the underserved group, and, and maybe it's just that I'm not in this demographic, the underserved group is really like the kids content. I feel like there's a lot of kids watching content all over YouTube and YouTube is, actually somewhat dangerous like you can click through crap and just go off of these channels um where roku could actually make a play imagine them going for something like the nickelodeon content or our children's content it'd be an easier way to get a platform into a household especially because these this roku stuff is already built into our tv sets like there's yeah. an app on my smart tv roku imagine um the family recognizing that as a secondary kids channel and being able to compete somewhat with Disney and Disney Plus content that has, you know, a little bit of a long tail, but definitely the Roku can go for a longer tail, especially if they're using. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely content. speak to YouTube being dangerous because I have to watch my son who, you know, is a hybrid model for school. And I, I watch him like a hawk when he's on YouTube because I don't want some random video that is not age appropriate to pop up. And YouTube does their best to try to control it, but a lot of times they can't because it's hidden behind like Star Wars back, you know, and then it ends up being something woefully inappropriate. So I can totally speak to that sort of worry from a parent perspective. And I think you're right. I think that's maybe where the play may be. I know Netflix is heavily investing in their animation. I think they're going to lease a building and I think in LA somewhere to turn it into just an animation studio solely to create animation. So I think there's definitely going to be an opportunity and kids content is always needed. It's always necessary. It's always something parents want. Um, Disney plus has obviously gone a long way to sort of helping a lot of parents and families through the pandemic. Um, so I think at a certain point watching frozen 50 times over is going to get old and they're going to want new stuff. Um, so the key is finding where that stuff is. And you know, that may be a play for Roku. You're right. That may be something that they should look at in terms of, you know, really, injecting themselves into the space um, and, you know, have the content that people really want to watch. Yeah, there, um, <clears throat> yeah, I almost feel like we could dedicate a, an episode to just how children's programming and, and that programming should, really should be handled because um, we're kind of leaving it up to anybody to make it. And there are some, you know, amazing viral videos that just, you know, are in everybody's household and doing what they can. Mm -hmm. But uh, there needs to be some of a safe space. And I don't know if I really know where that safe space is, especially the OTT platforms I have. Right. Netflix isn't safe. I honestly never trusted a cable box in my family. Like even if you never subscribe to the channels, the descriptions of what the show was going to be about 
would be read in the TV guide. And the descriptions are pornographic yeah. for, for pornographic shows. So like, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, like you don't, you, you have to find some way of understanding and guiding your children through their entertainment experience. And there's gotta yeah. be some space uh, to do that. Well, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you because you know, I was watching uh, the Steelers game with my son a couple weekends ago before they totally tanked it. Um, and there was a commercial for a, a herpes drug. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I, 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 don't, want my, no. I don't want my son asking me what herpes is. No. So I was like, oh, oh, I clicked. And if I had been watching, who knows what he would have seen? I mean, it was- By the way, did you see this? Like this was, uh, I, I did this by accident with my, my kids on my, um, my uh, Samsung box at, I, or I think it was uh, YouTube TV or whatever. I was navigating yeah. and I chose the, um, the game the other day. And it was uh, CBS was simulcasting with Nickelodeon. So there was oh, a the Nickelodeon. Yeah, the NFL game, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I ended up watching the Nickelodeon version because there is something a little bit more. It's awesome when the slime is hitting the guys when they touch down instead of just the regular, uh, you know, the regular game. Right. But I thought like, what a great concept. And the first time I ever have uh, seen it take place is that simulcast and try and even the commentators uh, skewed their comments more to understanding what the game is. Obviously, the commercial space was more geared towards that. What, and I thought to myself, that's just, this is an awesome way to start kind of understanding how the new entertainment space is going to be for live and sports broadcasting. Why not do it? Why not take the same feed and make it relevant to different audiences instead of imagining everybody sitting down in front of the same feed and thinking mm -hmm. it's relevant? Yeah. Um, smart, smart move. I think that's uh, going to be an interesting thing to see how that evolves in the future. But I, I really mean, you appreciate it. You can do it for everything. You can do it for basketball. You can do it for hockey and yeah. all kinds of opportunities. That well, and for the next year, the way sports games are being covered anyways, you might as well explore different ways mm -hmm. of covering the game yeah. instead of just trying to imagine a large stadium. To me, the, the sports viewing was supposed to be you're participating with the live events. So there was a crowd and you're on, you're watching on TV and then there's people in the field right now, like just, just guys in the scrimmage field. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't really turn into that stadium feel anymore. So to channel that out instead and make each kind of feed different and relevant to different audience, mm -hmm. it just kind of feeds where entertainment is going anyway. Everybody has a separate television set, a separate device, have a separate feed that fits your need. Yeah. Um, really smart move. I, I'm curious to see how that plays itself out over the, over the time. Um, well, before we wrap up, I, we have to uh, address this last thing because I feel like if anybody's watching Hollywood Breaks, they're keeping tabs on this little progression that we're watching at Disney. Mm -hmm. um, and we just recognize like, this is really just the beginning of, we're seeing the, the core of something that's happening at Disney, which we know will have an impact across the whole industry. Yep. Um, and that was this announcement of uh, Tony Chambers last Friday in their Friday dump. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, the, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, I think, this last week, or we've talked about it pretty much since they made the announcement, but Kareem Daniel and his role and what exactly would involve really haven't gotten any clarity, even though we were promised that in the investor presentation and that didn't happen. Um, now we're starting to get a little bit more clarity and starting to understand how this is going to work. And Tony Chambers is now sort of the theatrical distribution head at, um, at Disney, Walt Disney Studios. It was Catherine Tapp, I believe was her name. 
She's still staying on, but she no longer oversees theatrical distribution. And now Tony is reporting into Kareem Daniels' group. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a huge deal. And I think that's maybe partially why they dropped it on Friday at night when no one's really paying attention. Um, it's called a Friday news dump. Pol they do this in politics all the time. They, if they don't want anything covered, they dump it on Friday night. So nobody knows. Yeah. And I think that's largely why they did it. Because it's a big deal that the head of distribution is not reporting into um, Alan Bergman anymore. So that's huge. He's the head of the studio. And he not, does not have any say over distribution now. His, his distribution head is reporting into Kareem Daniels' group. And then we also had an announcement uh, that a gentleman by the name of Justin Connolly is now the president of Platform Distribution. Um, Which sounds the same, by the way. To people that are, don't know the difference between uh, Platform Distribution and Distribution, whatever Kareem Daniels' group is called. Um, you, can you clarify what, what the difference might be? Oh, what, between platform distribution and theatrical distribution? Yeah. Or, oh, okay. So uh, the way that the traditional studio worked was you had a head of just theatrical distribution who dealt with the exhibitors. So he dealt with AMC, the AMCs. Um, you know, they make deals with um, IMAX and Cinemark and Regals and blah, blah, blah. They, they deal with the circuits, basically, is what they, they do. Um, so now it sort of seems to be that, and that was traditionally reported into the head of the studio, but now it's become more agnostic where it's like platform distribution. So now they're determining, so they're really starting to, to sort of evolve the language where now we have sort of these groups that are overseen by these three head that are the content creators, the content creation hubs. And now you're starting to see what they have like the platform distribution. So now it's not theatrical as much anymore. It's which platform is this piece of content going to premiere on? So it's evolving the language and it's, it's a, I think it's a big thing. And, it, you know, Deadline Hollywood and Variety Hollywood just kind of like brushed it off. And I'm like, this is like a seismic move. And as I said, I said to you in my email, when I sent it to you, there's not much of a leap from president platform distribution to president platform marketing, which is sort of what we've all been talking about, like to each of these individual organizations. Yes, they all have control over their marketing, but is that really optimizing revenue and optimizing um, you know your spend if you have each individual content creator handling their own marketing doesn't it make sense that maybe the marketing should be handled by one group once yeah. the platforms determined so it's just interesting this evolution that's starting to happen and you're starting to the details are starting to be filled in and disney obviously dumping it on a friday realized this was kind of a seismic announcement and so as far as I can tell, it kind of works because no one's really talking about it. Um, so so it's, it's a seismic. You and I can kind of see like it's, it's the beginning of the, of the earthquake taking place. Like yes. You can see it. But it's also such a long-term item that there's no immediate thing to kind of hit or big promotion to put out there. Yeah. Uh, to me, when I hear you talk about that, it's, it just comes back to the very first thing we talked about today, which is you know, what, what really makes a film, what really is theatrical anymore? Yeah. And it, with Disney and everyone really chasing this OTT platform space, every, the marketing being handled the same way, you can imagine Disney showing up with a sizzle reel pretty soon that feels very much like the Netflix reel. Yeah. And it's just going to have the same kind of like uh, upfront push and really this competition of like, pick me, pick mm -hmm. my platform over my competitor's platform instead yeah. of being the studio that Disney always was. And then it, again, like they had a TV space and a studio space 
and the two were very separate. Uh, ABC was separate from everything else they had done. And now we're like, oh, wait, all these are just channels for content. Maybe we, the efficiency needs to be in place and do it. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. I also just think it plays into more what, we, what we've mentioned too, where I think Cream Daniels you know, is going to be the, soon to be president of something at Disney. Like he's clearly well, he's not president of that division, but I think ultimately this is grooming him for a larger role, potentially even CEO. So yeah. I think that's what we're looking at here. And that's why I wouldn't be surprised if some sort of form of a, a sort of platform marketing uh, department is created to sort of handle all the marketing across all the content creations. Because Again, that's a big deal that the head of theatrical distribution is not reporting into the head of the studio anymore. Yeah, sure. It just goes around the entire studio and studio strategy to distribution strategies different than studio strategy. Yeah. So you have yeah. your content makers, and then you have the people that decide we're probably through some kind of math, AI math you know, algorithm where it should be seen first or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, as always, time flies when we're having fun, and that that flew by pretty fast today. Um, yeah. I really appreciate that you agree with me on The Godfather. I was a little scared to even mention that. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but you know, I, I watched a little bit of it when of the original, not like a week and a half ago, which is why I was kind of referencing scenes. But um, yeah, I haven't seen it. I still want to see it um, because I do. That was such a massive disappointment <laughs> compared to the first two. Um, but you know, it doesn't give it doesn't give me any hope that you said it doesn't really improve and platform. just for clarity for our viewers i don't want anyone to be confused those dog photos behind you are not movie posters <laughs> behind you yeah, this, is, this is this is this is uh, all dogs go to heaven this is the uh the artistic version the black one black and white. <laughs> yeah, right no it's uh well hollywood breaks i went on the road uh you know i'm actually in my in-laws uh house at the moment um because i got kicked out of my house with cleaning lady and son, both kids home, wife teaching from home. So <laughs> I got exiled. So yeah. are up north at the moment. So I'm crashing in their dining room. And as you can see, they have a lovely uh, picture of dogs, but it's not a movie poster. Yeah, not a movie poster. <laughs> so no. we're going to get no credits for any, any designers no, this, this week. week. I mean, Our I, I out to my mother-in-law and see who paint who who uh yeah we should totally do a nod to the uh, studio that took the, <laughs> the yeah, nice. all right my friends thank you so much you have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week for hollywood breaks all of you that are viewing thanks for being part of this um if you like we see please do subscribe to this channel we love having you part of it and those that you are on linkedin stay tuned we're working to get a linkedin feed here as well linkedin live so um, great things coming for us in this uh, program. Um, as always, thank you, Lydia, for the work that you do behind the scenes, our Go Social team, and Curly Joe Thompson for getting that transcription done for us and this stuff posted. Until next week, we'll see you on Hollywood Breaks and have a great uh, week ahead. Goodbye. Okay,